everybody, and welcome to episode 49 of An Apotheosis of a Bombast. I'm Scott Copperman, and with me today is the New York Times recognized podcaster extraordinaire, Mr. Elton McManus. Howdy, and indeed, duty. I'm most impressed. It was a surprise honor for yourself and me, and several other Lost podcasters is our other podcast, Rethinking Lost, was was plugged or promoted as a, what they call it, a point of entry? Yeah, one to listen to, one to you know, start you out, really. Yeah. It's cool, though, isn't it? It's very good. And, uh, you know, if they had the same kind of thing for uh, bombastness, <laughs> I'm sure we'd be <laughs> recognized by the National Apotheosian or something. But um, And the New York Times, that's it's a big deal. It was... I don't know what the criteria was, but it just goes to show you—you you never know who's listening to your podcast and yeah, what, what they're thinking about it. But no, I'm well chuffed with that, and thank you to—oh, I can't remember her name now. Virginia. Is that the lady that wrote it? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Thank you very much, yeah. Virginia. Yes. So, uh, if anyone else is is planning to uh, recommend us on a listening thing, and you know, you don't have to keep it a surprise. You can let us know. We like to celebrate, have a little piece of cake, and uh, throw a little party. <laughs> <laughs> throw some shapes, cut some, cut some rug. But uh, that was a big honor, and I know that's our other podcast. But um, We're still it, it thinking really... of you guys as well. Don't worry, we're not letting you down. Oh, once, no. once, re- uh, once Lost is over, then we're going to be hitting you big style. Don't worry. You know, the, the big thing for me was, we've talked a lot of times about you know, the feedback, the emails, and you guys as a whole have been great about sending us things and putting things on Twitter and, and the occasional review on iTunes and all. And it, it just reinforced that just because you don't get, you know, that virtual pat on the back kind of thing, it doesn't mean there aren't people out there uh, enjoying what you do or, or listening, period. So yeah, for me, that was, it was a a big recharge at a time not that I wasn't enjoying what we're doing it's just been really busy lately and it, it kind of like made sure everything stayed up front so yeah I, I really enjoy doing these podcasts and I, I'm glad people enjoy listening yeah I love doing them I I'm I'm apologizing to all the listeners at the moment you know I feel like we've been neglecting you just a wee bit so apologies there but once Lost is out of the way then yes we're we're back in your open arms to snuggle down and comfort you in your hour of need yeah well no one's been complaining and it's well, it's yeah. just different lost is lost is on a strict schedule <laughs> and uh an apotheosis of bombast has always kind of been a one to two week kind of thing and you know the winter winter weather the sniffles the uh just the busyness of various things has, yeah. has gotten in the way at times but we're entering that that summer stretch which should go well sadly uh, I don't really remember if we've mentioned it yet, but we should get it out there. There will be no report from the cheese rolling next month. No, you, no. Yeah, no. you mentioned uh, offline. I don't think we did it online that the cheese rolling has been canceled. So there will be no follow-up to last year's report. Oh, it came out in that podcast, definitely. Okay. Uh, I had a phone call halfway through one of the episodes, about three or four episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And I took it to uh, that they've canceled the, the cheese rolling due to health and safety grounds i was assuming that it was the people tumbling down the hill mm-hmm. and it's nothing to do with that it's apparently the the event has grown so much over the last 15 years 
that there's just far too many people turning up and they're mm. thinking of actually making it a ticketed event. So I'm glad I went to the last real true one with no tickets. So keeping it real for you guys. <laughs> well, you could always organize your own. Well, you know, I haven't got a hill as big as that. I have got a slight slope in my garden, which I could use. We could we could roll little edams down, I suppose. But it's, I suppose it's on that, that way to being incorporated and lots of sponsors having Flora all the way down here and Virgin and Coca-Cola and all the other stuff that Bombas would like to be sponsored by. But yeah. Well, the unfortunate thing is, is just insurance. I mean, it's, it gets to be the point where you have to protect yourself so much against the risk of, you know, I went rolling down a hill chasing after a piece of cheese and I got hurt. Yeah. I hold the people responsible for that. Well, you're the idiot who ran full speed down a hill knowing that no matter how many waivers you sign, we talked once before about silly warnings and all, you have to protect yourself and and that just makes it prohibitively expensive or, or not worth the trouble for people to... Yeah, and, and all the twisted ankles and people pushing mm-hmm. their babies up to the top of this hill. You know, I think that's where the problem is coming from. It's just too many people in one space at one time and then all the traffic coming out of that place as well. There's literally, I think, four roads that lead to this hill, which is in the middle of them, and it's right. just grinding everything to a halt. And probably the wrong people going. Not that people aren't entitled to go and enjoy it, but... Just like someone, you get people who go and, and run the marathon who shouldn't be running a marathon, but the organizers usually can have them go to the back. So they put the serious runners out in front, so at least there's, they're not trampling that person who just wants to finish or who, who's going to do it uh, running backwards. Or, you know, there's always people who, yeah. who have a different agenda. You know, th- this is a quirky kind of event. I'm sure it, it draws a lot of interest from a lot of different people kind of like our american idol show you get people with real talent and then you get people who show up dressed like the statue of liberty or a boy wearing a woman's bathing suit and a wig and you know they're there for a completely different purpose yeah and i'm sure this event now has started to draw that type of attention you get people who just you know they're <laughs> you're adding to the risk because you're just there for the wrong reasons so there there will be no no visit on your part, but we can still get an update of, of how it goes, I guess, through yeah. the wonders of the internet. Well, I think they're going to roll a solitary cheese down the hill just to show that there was cheese rolled on this day. A symbolic yeah. cheese. Yeah. With a but... little remote control action figure tumbling after it. <laughs> they could throw hundreds of Barbies down the hill, wouldn't they? Yes. Oh, that would yes. be a sight. Well, see, now that, that's what you could do. It's like here they do, uh, it's like a rubber duck race. For charity, you buy a rubber duck, they dump them all in the river, and it's you go like a mile down the river, and you know hopefully your duck gets there first. Mm-hmm. You could do the same kind of thing. You could buy a Barbie. They could sell them and donate the proceeds to charity and then you know throw the Barbies off the cliff. Well, speaking of updates, we have an update. You know, and, and wow. there's, there's what an a segue. argument right there. I know. <laughs> there's an <laughs> argument right there for being timely. With Well, you can take it two ways. Maybe we rushed episode 48. We should have stalled another day or two. Or maybe it's good that we're quickly producing episode 49. But basically, in the uh, four days since we recorded last, 
and we spoke about the Russian history author whose wife had been writing skating reviews on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, specifically on Amazon. Well, it's come out that it wasn't quite the wife at all. It was the author. He said oh. in a statement, I take full responsibility for posting anonymous reviews on Amazon. I've made some foolish errors and apologize wholeheartedly. And apologize wholeheartedly to all concerned. He specifically apologized to his wife, his lawyer, and the people he trashed on Amazon. <laughs> uh, the... I'll prove it. I'll prove it. It's not me. Oh yeah, it is me. Sorry. Well, apparently, he panicked as like there was just more and more attention drawn to this. I guess it's a real big story. Maybe not in London in particular, but in the London literary circle. Right. It's it's the hot topic. You know, it's it's the iPhone four of the author world. I guess, but. Uh, he panicked and he's got a wife who cares about him and probably didn't enjoy the attention it was drawing but said what can we do to end this And so she said she'll take one for the team she'll, she agreed to say it was her and they lied to their lawyer so the lawyer went stood up and said what we said last uh, last week You know, mm-hmm. my client just found out this and I don't know what the consequences were going to be for the wife but I, I'm sure just not even like legal consequences, just the abuse she must have taken from supporters of these other authors. Whatever the reason, he, he then came around and said, you know what, it wasn't her at all. It's, it's me. Uh, it says, he says, I, I was, I'm ashamed of my behavior and I don't entirely understand why I acted as I did. It was stupid. Some of the reviews I now see were small-minded and ungenerous, but they were not intended to harm. This crisis has exposed some health problems, though I offer that more as an explanation than an excuse. I need some time now to reflect on what I've done and the consequences of my actions with medical help. At least he can write a book about it. I know, there you go. Or his wife can. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, so, I still don't know the, the title of the book that he's on about, so I know all publicity, or no publicity is bad publicity. It's really hard to say sometimes. Well, here's some of the books. It, he's a prize-winning author known for his evocative works about Russia, including Natasha's Dance, A Cultural History of Russia, okay. and The Whisperers, Private Life in Stalin's Russia. He writes about yeah. Russia. Yes. So I, I give him... I don't know how I could phrase this. I'm going to put it this way. Everybody makes mistakes... Obviously, some are more severe than others. I can understand how, when it all seems to be getting, it, how it can build up and and become something you just can't see for what it really is. I could see how he could get lost in it. He could panic. They could think that this was the right way to handle it. I give his wife tremendous credit for, for standing with him and, and trying to help, whether it was ill-advised or not. Same thing on, on his part for standing up and saying look you know what she took the blame for it that was stupid it, it was me and I, there's going to be consequences for it um i don't know that what he did really hurt anybody in the long run maybe it did maybe i'm sure there's financial injury and i'm sure he'll be penalized by we we said there were like pretty strict rules against this now but hmm. I, I i don't know i'm sure at some point it just became 
this bad idea became something that it wasn't even like he could just stop writing it. He probably had to address it in some way. And yeah, maybe he should have just made his comment and then cleared off and then just ignored everything and not made it blow up. And he might have got away with it like that. But yeah, it sounds like he started threatening to counter Sue. Like, how dare you say I wrote this? And and uh, yeah, he he probably I'm sure he could have handled it a thousand ways differently and better. But mm. I, probably at this point, with all the damage done, this was probably. The best thing you could have done was to say, look, I stop. I screwed yeah. up. Hold and, your hands uh, up sometimes. Yeah. So hopefully for his sake, that's the end of the story, and, and he moves on, and and life improves for them. But uh, it was interesting. Of all the things we picked to talk about, we picked that one, and then uh, like two days later, I'm looking, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, we, we've done that before, though. We've had the, the body fat one as well, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Where we've people... been fooled. <laughs> Although I did like the body fat one. That was awesome. Yeah. So should we should we take the risk and talk about a couple more stories? <laughs> yeah. Do you have any new ones? Sorry, let's go for it. Um, ba, 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 ba. I'm going to go for my first one. A freak wave saves a man from suicide plunge from the Gap. Now, I'm guessing the Gap is a, a situate or a place in Sydney. And this uh, the 45-year-old man who jumped 200 metres from the Gap in Sydney, was washed back onto dry land unharmed shortly after 9pm. <laughs> this guy has obviously gone out there for a, a suicide bid and a rogue wave has come along, swept him off his... Well, I, I'd like to think that he was falling and the wave caught him and then just swept him gently onto the uh, beach like a cartoon, lapped up on the waves, he rested his body there and then disappeared. Yeah, Like, that, like an act of God. That's how you picture it, but I have a feeling that's not how it was. It's probably he's in there, and instead of sinking, I picture it being a much uglier. <laughs> I think in reality, it was a much uglier kind of getting pushed back to shore. But maybe, maybe it was uh, more comical. <laughs> mm. Two hundred meters—that's a hell of a way to drop, though, isn't it? How how far do you reckon you have to fall to actually reach reach uh, terminal velocity? What do you four point nine meters per second per second is how fast you accelerate. Do you? Yeah. Ooh. So at first he's fallen he jumps five meters per second. Then the next after two seconds he's going uh he's going ten meters per second. So I mean it, how long would it take him to hit the ground? I don't know, what's terminal vol- velocity? Isn't it hundred and twenty five miles an hour? So I mean that's pretty high, two hundred meters. Yeah, it's a way, isn't it? I don't think it'd take that long to fall it, though. Yeah, I thought when you jump... They say, like, if you jump off a bridge, it's like hitting concrete because the water at that speed is so hard. Yeah. And unyielding. Yeah. Maybe that's where the effort... That the wave... Whatever the shape of the wave and, and the flow of the water gave it that... Maybe he landed in the break. It was breaking over, and he landed in that where where the, the water wouldn't be as harsh. Right, or maybe it redirected him slightly, so that yeah. instead of coming straight down, he kind of got pushed, deflected some of the force. Yeah, it's a bit like a scene out of Monty Python, though, isn't it? You yeah. lucky bastard! <laughs> it goes in, <laughs> little sound effect coming back up. <laughs> and the newspaper article, it's fairly short, and then the, the final three lines are suicide prevention lines. <laughs> which, I mean, I guess that's responsible, but uh, I wonder if that's automatically done. You know how sometimes... Uh, 
little paper clip on the computer says, it looks like you're writing a thank you letter. Let me help you. Oh, what if right, it yeah. sat there and it's like, this looks like an article about suicide. Here's three, <laughs> three phone numbers. Uh, one, of them's, one of them is called Sane Australia. Yeah, th- th- all right. You have three choices. You can call Lifeline, you can call Sane, or you can call Beyond Blue. Well, <laughs> Lifeline is the most encouraging. Yes. <laughs> Apotheosis of the Bombast is brought to you by Scott Kaufman and Elton McManus. You want chili sauce with that? All right, well, so we have that article with the gentleman who was prevented from committing suicide. And then you sent me another story about uh, a man who couldn't be saved. Where was that? Uh, it was in England somewhere. All these crazy weirdos live in England mm-hmm. most of the time. If, if they're not living in America, then they're living in England. Let's Bristol. Put it there. Bristol? Yes. There we go. A former bin man kept the body of his dead, drunken mate under the sofa in his council flat for 10 years. Neighbours had long complained of a vile stench coming from the flat, but they said that they were repeatedly told by the council that it was the drains or the bins. Now, this guy, he's the, the guy that had died, he owned the flat, or he was renting the flat from the council. Uh, the, the bin man, I can't remember his name, he moved in with the guy who owned the flat. Mm-hmm. But he's not supposed to have lodgers. I think he was paying him somehow. Probably in beer, because I think there were a couple of winos getting pissed every night and very drunk. And instead of reporting that his friend had died, he just tipped his sofa up, cut the bottom off, and then placed him under the sofa and put the sofa back down on top of him. And then that way he doesn't get evicted. He was worried about getting evicted. And then I suppose, like the person who lied about his books, the lie just got deeper and deeper and deeper. The the council visited his flat numerous times, looking around. They saw it was a crap hole. He was a bin man, for Christ's sake, and yet his mm-hmm. house was a crap hole. I'm not expecting it to be immaculate, but talk about taking uh, your work home with you. It sounds like his house was an absolute state. It's, it's like one of these people that... I, I'm a hoarder, but you, you get people that hoard everything, don't you? They'll poo in a bag and then tie the bag up, and they can't throw it away. And it sounds like he was one of these guys. And yeah. it came to a point where the council got there and they raided the whole house and then they lifted up the sofa and they actually found the skeletal remains of his friend. And Jeez. like pus and fermented friend underneath his sofa. And that's where he got found out. And then well, uh, straight away evicted. It says that there was uh, complaints of a vile stench for a long time. Yeah. So this happened in, let's see, 1999 or turn of the century. That's in right. In 2002, a council workman said a cleaning team, uh, a cleaning team was sent out in 2002. And they didn't find anything. They must have smelt something though. I've, I've, I've worked on council estates before and I've seen people clean out these houses. And some of the stuff is mental. There's some places where they, they have their windows smashed because they are smelly people. And then you have pigeons going in there and nesting in their houses. And Jeez. you can get terrible stuff from pigeons alone. And I've seen people drag buckets and you know, neon 
wheelbarrows of bird crap out of this house, and it was disgusting. Ah, funny enough, there was a program on uh, two, three nights ago where, mm-hmm. uh, like, house detectives or something like that, I think it was, and th- this group went round to this house because it's it smelt. The person who owned the house had died, I think, and they found 50 cats living in this house, and it was just a three-story litter tray for them. There was beer yeah. cans everywhere. It was one of these people that don't, that doesn't throw anything out. Yeah. There, there was beer cans everywhere. There was food everywhere. There was feces everywhere. The cats were crapping everywhere. And they're supposed to be mm-hmm. clean animals as well, aren't they? And yet they're, they're just treating it as a big kitty litter. And there was a ladder going from the first floor up into the loft. And so they were, they were sleeping around in the loft. They were crapping in the loft. They were doing other stuff in the loft. And one of the workers went into the, the front room, moved some old cider bottles away and found a cat dead underneath all of this stuff. Yeah. And it's oh, it's horrible. And then he went in uh went further into the front room, moved all the the crap away from the there was like a, a coffee table in there, I think it was. And underneath the coffee table there was another dead cat. Yeah. Just disgusting. Yeah. I, I don't know how people can live like that. I'm a messy pup at the best of times sometimes, but I, yeah, I don't you, know how people can live like that. I know what you mean. Well, this says the guy the guy who died was in his 60s. They think he died, just he drank himself to death, basically. Yeah. He probably wasn't in good health to begin with. They have uh, don't think there's any foul play, and they assigned the guy a new apartment. <laughs> oh, they gave the other guy a new apartment, did they? Yeah, the survivor. The survivor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, it has a feel. Looking, there's just little things like there's a spokesman for help for the aged, and these different things that make you feel like, or make me feel like, we're not talking about two ordinary people. We're talking about some kind of feeble-minded, kind of should be under care of the state anyway. Yeah, people here. So, oh yeah. I mean, what what's the good in? Yeah, they may have really been like, but I didn't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could have called someone, but I didn't have a coin for the phone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there is a statement here. It said, Mr. Derrick, obviously the guy who survived, who was arrested and then bailed by police, refused to comment about the body when he was approached at his local pub, which is an apt place for it to be approached. He said, I'm not talking about this. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't know it was there. Of course you didn't, mate. He forgot. <laughs> <laughs> he says in there at one point he forgot about the corpse. I had a roommate somewhere. I don't know where he is. Poor <laughs> little fella. Yeah, he's one of them people that should should be looked after, really. Yeah, I mean, he may be just absent-minded in that sense, but... <laughs> I don't know, that's, that's pretty severe. I left something... I have a string on my finger, and I'm not sure what it's for. Maybe Some, it's to get rid of that smell. Something's different around here. I have more room. Mm. Why is this? I, I this have a spare room. Lumpy. Why is this <laughs> sofa so lumpy? <laughs> All right. Do you have any stories that don't involve death? Oh, quickly. Have you seen the video on YouTube for the film The Human Centipede? No. 
That's Wait, a film. I don't want to see it, do I? No, you don't want to see right. it. It's disgusting. I just thought I'd mention it so we can put it on the show notes. But <laughs> I've heard about this story before, and I didn't know that they were actually making a film about it, and it's just weird. Joining three people together like that, that's just wrong, uh, you naughty uh. man. Anyway, let's go into something more savoury or sweet. Uh, on the BBC News website, I found a thing about a towel-folding robot that's been created by US <laughs> researchers. Now, ha are you able to see this video for this uh, towel-folding robot? Yes, I am. Have you watched it all? Uh, no, not yet. Oh, it's... it's. Uh, I'd like to say it's brilliant. It's not brilliant because it's a robot folding towels. Uh, they've created this robot that uh, take. 25 minutes to fold one towel, although it does fold it very nicely. It shows it, uh, this robot picks up four towels, fold, it scans them one at a time by twisting its, <laughs> its uh, wrist. It actually looks like a maid as well. It looks like a huge hoover, but it, it twists its wrists, it scans the towel, picks it up, pulls it apart, like manipulates it so it cuts it in half basically lays it on the on the table flattens it out then folds it flattens it out again and then places it in a pile <laughs> and it takes 25 minutes for this now cruise control that's a great invention the toaster yeah. that's a great invention the robot that takes 25 minutes to fold a towel is possibly not a great invention it's very bizarre. But if you watch the whole video, it's very, very quick at the very end. It, I, I don't know if they had to shut the camera off just in case the, the towel machine went <laughs> mad. But it, it's folded the last towel, it's put it in place, and then it goes back to original table where the, the messy towels were, and it can't find any towels. And then the video <laughs> stops. So I'm wondering if it went bonkers and went, where are my towels? What's he going grabs on? Some guy starts folding his shirt. Yeah. <laughs> grabs a table. Stop oh. the camera! Stop the camera! Yeah, it's going bad. Oh God. Or did it get crazy and then go back to the original table and go, oh, look at these towels here. I better fold them and ends up folding them. It's like a piece of paper that you can only fold it seven times and it keeps doing it to uh, towels. Yeah, it's definitely not. It's not Wally. <laughs> no, it looks great though. It's a lovely bit of kit. But, yeah, 25 minutes. You might as well get a couple of maids for that. There's <laughs> plenty of people who will sit there and say, I'm just going to eat. I'll, I'll wait till I dry on my own. I won't even use a towel. There's some researchers kicking back going, yep, all my towels are folded. That's Lovely right. jubbly. Not yet. Tomorrow. They'll be folded tomorrow. <laughs> I only take one shower a day. What's the matter? Yeah. I've got a stack of 30 towels here. It's going to take me umpteen minutes to do it. I'm going to get my robot to do it in... 25% uh, of the time. You're not impressed, but you should see me fold a towel. It takes me a good 45 minutes. <laughs> this is half the time. <laughs> he could get a couple of wenches for that, couldn't he? Yeah. Save all that money. But yeah, it's, it's a nice little thing to look at. Man. And one more thing to finish on then, unless you've got right. anything else. No, we can end with that. No, no, I've got, got one I more. I mean, we can end with your thing. Yeah, we can end with yours. Okay. Uh, have you heard the recent developments of Stephen Hawking, of what he's uh, recently said. Yeah, I was actually watching that the other day. Oh, have you actually got the programs? 
Yeah, it's on uh, Discovery Channel. Oh. One, one a week. They, uh, the one about aliens was this past week, and the next week is, I think, Origins of the Universe or something. Oh, curse you. It's not even come out over here yet. I'm looking forward to it, though. But he's... Justin TV, don't forget. You can see a lot of those things on there. Yeah, I always forget that. I have to dive into that, but I think it's coming in the next couple of weeks anyway. But he's actually said that we shouldn't seek out new alien life forms just in case they are they're badass and they're gonna take all our resources. Which he came to the conclusion that if, hang on, let 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 me um let me get him to say it to you. Hang on. Oh God. We only have to look at ourselves to see how intelligent life might develop into something we wouldn't want to meet. I imagine they might exist in massive ships, having used up all the resources from their home planet. Such advanced aliens would perhaps become nomads, looking to conquer and colonize whatever planets they can reach. He said massive ships, just to let everyone know. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't massive ships. It was massive ships. There, there we have Stephen Hawking there living in my computer. What a wonderful guy he is. But yeah, he's he's worried about them coming down and well, us making contact with them. And I don't think it's very likely that we're making contact with aliens. And I suppose if they are going to um, come along, then yeah, they probably will wipe us out and then use our planet for what they want. Well, yeah, I mean he makes. He makes good points. I mean, we're definitely... It'd be one thing if you happen to detect something. You go to another world and you detect like a little microbe or something like that. But if you somehow get the attention of a more advanced civilization... Yeah. Uh, and he actually makes the, the claim that it there's a good chance that it will be... Oh, I don't know if it's, if it's the idea of the original visitors. Kind of like the original visitors and the... Uh, the aliens in in Independence Day. Yeah. That they're basically locusts that have consumed all the resources of their own world, and now they just hop planet to planet. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he he draws the analogy that you know it didn't <laughs> being contacted by an outside group it didn't fare well for Native Americans or most most primitive cultures visited by the explorers of the. 16th and 17th century so yeah, we I, shouldn't exactly hope for that no i can understand where he's coming from there but i'm just wondering do you reckon he can get sky tv on his computer and he's just been watching independence day far too many times or close encounters and I don't no, know. i mean I, I think he's i think he's got i think he's right in a lot of ways because we <laughs> we're letting people look but at the same time there is no plan, it seems, for if anything's ever found. Well, and, I, I uh, think if anything is ever found, then it's going to be beyond our lifetime before we actually get to reply to them anyway. So it could be thousands of years before our reply reaches back to them. And by then they could either have set off or have gone, yeah, okay, we're going to steer clear of them. Yeah, it would be more that someone might be aware of us and we don't even realize it yet. Mm. But yeah, if we were to, to well, culturally, I don't know if we're ready for detecting a signal. It'd be kind of cool. It'd be neat. Or if we find, if we find evidence of life on another planet, then you definitely have uh, the implications for religion and all that kind of stuff. But 
I, I think we might think that as as a species we're noble and and civilized and humane and all, but mm. I could just picture uh, something lands and and someone sits there and is like, "Ooh, there's this green sticky stuff on this," and like rip it and pull it. And don't realize they're destroying an entire colony of. Yeah, it of could be. alien life and an act of war has just been committed. And <laughs> we're pretty ignorant as trod on the royal jelly by accident. Exactly, or we also have just this tendency to to be repulsed by things. I mean, I if the aliens look like bugs, I people or if, if we associate them with something that seems primitive, like a frog or something, then yeah, we're going to we, dissect we it. They're not smart. Yeah, yeah, we'll dissect it straight away. We'll dissect it in a heartbeat. Yeah. I'm sorry, we didn't mean to kill your ambassador. Yeah. <laughs> that was the queen of the world. What are you doing? Sorry, it was a frog. Yes, but that's the queen. And now all that war is, is waged. Yeah, I, I think there's a comment in there at some point where what we're doing at SETI is essentially the same as listening to a radio station. So the DJ has no idea you're listening to his show. Doesn't yeah. know where you are or how to find you. So that's harmless, but in terms of sending out satellites with maps to the <laughs> back to Earth or actively trying to to bring a species to us is probably not the best idea right now. No, I suppose not, no. So heed the warnings of Stephen Hawking. That's right. No, I, th- I think that's the end of the news for this week All right. anyway. All right. Well, we had a number of stories. We thought we'd stay maybe away from a website today, so... I, I- I'll hit you with a little bit of cocology, you and the listeners. Go on then. And we'll see if we can uh, learn a little something about ourselves here. This one's called Monster. So Monster, or Alien, if you want to go that way. We all use the word, but who among us has ever really seen one? Ask a hundred people to draw a monster, or an alien, and they'll paint you a hundred very different pictures. There are all kinds of monsters, or aliens. <laughs> the ones we right. see in movies, those that chase us through our dreams, the monsters of fairy tales, ghost stories, and even video games. They range from the 300-foot lizards to monsters in human form. What image does the word conjure up for you? Now, a monster is stalking the landscape, terrifying and unstoppable, and it's heading your way. The monster is out of control with rage. It can't be talked to or reasoned with. But why is it so angry? Do you think it's, one, it's hungry and it's hunting for food? Two, it's searching for its lost love? Three, it's despondent because it's so so ugly? Or four, it's angry at the entire world? Ooh, I'm going to go with the hungry. The hungry situation. All right. I, I always gonna... find myself hungry and then I get a bad mood, so yeah, definitely. I, I'm thinking revenge, so I guess that would fall under... Like um, maybe because we just talked about it, but it's been wronged in some way, so it's it's angry at the entire world. That doesn't bode well. <laughs> That's not an answer I want to be giving. <laughs> the monster in your imagination is a manifestation of the archetype known as the shadow, representing the darker side of every person's personality. The shadow is present in each of us, and the monster's anger is directed at the source of stress in our own lives. If you answered, it's hungry and hunting for food, the hungry monster is reacting to your own fight against your appetite. Have you been wrestling with a diet recently? It's hard to keep a clear head when you've got an empty stomach. 
Remember, everything in moderation, and that includes moderation itself. Better to have an occasional snack than to let the pressure build up and you end up eating Tokyo. So true. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, those of you who are listening, if you thought it was searching for a lost love, if you thought the monster was madly looking for its love, maybe you too have been going through some difficulties on the romantic front. Just keep reminding yourself, a love life without worries is no love life at all. Even Count Dracula had his off nights. Oh, crying out loud. So true. Number three was, it's despondent because it's so ugly. Those who thought the monster was consumed with rage at its own ugliness are dissatisfied with their own appearance in some way. Faults can become magnified in the mind's eye, and that negative self-image influences the way the rest of the world views us as well. The first step toward being loved is learning to love what you see and you look in the mirror yourself. So true. (laughs) And then number four, it's angry at the entire world. People choose this answer when they have a pessimistic outlook. Not only is the glass half empty, but the water is warm and it tastes bad. It's good to be able to find mistakes that need correcting, but you'll never change the world just by complaining. Let's see if we can't find a way to put some of that energy to a more positive use. That's a load of crap. All right. You, you know, I, you've I, just sent a load of people to commit suicide now. Oh, you, you I well, make sure you call Lifeline if you live in Australia. Yeah. Don't don't call Lifeline if you don't live in Australia. Although it is open 24 hours, and I would think they would still try to help you. Okay, you're digging a hole now. We should have a hold your breath competition, I think. It'd be kind of easy to fake, don't you think? No, you can't fake it. you got to go with it. Okay. Am I holding my breath now? Or muting? (laughs) You don't know. All right. At the risk of sending someone over the edge, we'll go with this one here. Uh, Imagine you are out on a childhood summer's day, blowing bubbles in an open field. Which of the following best describes the scene you're imagining? Do the bubbles you blow float away high in the sky? Are you blowing hundreds of tiny bubbles through your little plastic ring? Are you concentrating on blowing an enormous single bubble? And are the bubbles you make are carried behind you on the breeze? Here, are the bubbles you make being carried behind you on the breeze? So do they float up high? Are you blowing hundreds of tiny bubbles? Are you trying to blow one big bubble? Or are they being blown behind you on the breeze? Um. <laughs> Uh, it's non-sexual, so don't worry. I, not everything I think is sexual. Well, most it. of this book is, but... They're going so up what, high. They're going up to the sky. I think I picture lots of tiny ones. All right. The shimmering bubbles you blow in your imagination are symbols of your hopes and dreams. The scene you described reveals how you think about your dreams you hope someday will come true. If you see your dreams... Floating high into the sky, you see them as elusive and unattainable, flying away from you like soap bubbles on the wind. Maybe you're wishing too much, too soon, or are caught up in impossible fantasies. Whatever the case may be, the gap between your dreams and reality is wide. As much as you may like to tell others of your grand schemes and plans for the future, somewhere inside you is a voice telling you just how fragile and fleeting those dreams are. 
If you pictured hundreds of tiny bubbles, you've set your sights on immediate attainables, new clothes, a car, boyfriend, girlfriend, getting your work done. Your dreams are sensible and always within your reach. Decide what it is you want most in life and work for it. If you chase after everything at once, you stand a good chance of getting nothing. Okay. If you're concentrating on blowing a single enormous bubble, you have a single all-important dream or ambition that's driving your entire life. Hold on to that desire and keep striving forward. Given time, you'll see that it's not that far from your grasp. And finally, if the bubbles are being blown behind you on the breeze, your disappointing experience with unfulfilled hopes and dreams in the past shapes how you think today. But the experience of chasing after and losing a few dreams along the way was all just training to help you get ready for the future. Don't be afraid to keep dreaming. The only people who never fail are those who never try. I think with this cocology, it does very much depend on what day you actually ask these questions. If you've had a real crap day at work, you're going to come home and have completely different answers to a day where you've had like the most awesome day and you found money on the floor. I can see that, but I think then that makes it even more valid because it's more of a reflection of... It means it really is influencing your answers, your state of mind. and Yeah, it's, you... it's your state of mind at that point in time, isn't it? It's not yeah. more of a, a rounded person or personal effect. You can really yeah. map out someone's personality using these because it will fluctuate too much between day to day. No, and I think a lot of them too... You, you can kind of get a sense with the way they're phrased, you know, like uh, angry at the world, like the monster one, angry at the world, lost a love, hungry and craving something. I yeah. mean, you can look at that, especially after you've done a couple and been like, well, <laughs> this is going to suggest this, this is going to suggest that. The, the big mystery is always what it represents. Is it your hopes? Is it your favorite feature, your least favorite feature, how you deal with death, whatever. So, yeah. A lot of them are sex, like I said, but <laughs> I just figured it was something a little different. This way, our listeners, while they were listening, could play along at home. Oh, yeah. No, I, I would definitely play along as well. I wouldn't yeah. shout out in the car or van or whatever situation I was in. Big bubbles! Big bubbles! Yes! Is there a problem, <laughs> sir? Big bubbles! <laughs> anyway. All right, so we need a moral for today's show. I'm going to suggest we go with... The gentleman who forgot he had a dead body in a sofa. God bless him. <laughs> well, I bet he's a lovely gentleman when you get to know him as well. Probably. Even with all the dead bodies. Just a bit absent-minded. So should we go with something like a foul stench should jog your memory? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. There you go. Audience, you already knew the title of it, but there we go. Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back shortly. This is episode 49. Uh, we got episode 50 coming up. Should we do something special for episode 50? Yes. I Yeah. I'm. Mm, yes, but we, we were talking before we actually recorded this. If we don't do the special thing, the next episode, then the next episode will be 51. And we'll Doesn't save work. the special the special stuff for episode 50. So we might eat, uh, might reach 55 
and then go back and record episode 50. So Yeah, we're going to mess with your minds. Yeah. We'll make episode 50 a live show, but it might not be the next episode. Yeah, it might be three or four weeks' time, but there we go. So there you go. Wrap your minds around that. Yes. 49, 51, 52, 53, 50, 54. Oh, that freak them out. Awesome. That's right. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> no, they're just sitting there going, okay, fine. Hurry up. I got to get the next podcast. Just play your end music and go. Okay, here it is. See you later, guys. <laughs> Bye. I don't know what happened there. I really don't know what happened there. I don't know. So I apologize. Alright. It's probably well, my fault somewhere along the line anyway. So <laughs> it normally is. I I have to bow down and normally say, yes no, dear. No. So don't I'll worry. say to you, yes dear, yes it's me. Here. Yes, all are welcome. Yes, indeed. I love them. Fun. Nice. Life. Youth. Beautiful. I'm all for it.